Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and it's a real privilege to welcome back to the show one of my favorite people, Michael Beck. Michael's a pastor, professor, coach, consultant. He's one of my go-to thought leaders and skin-in-the-game ministry practitioners for all things missional. Michael has a great new book now available through Invite Press. It's called The Five Congregational Personality Types, An Ancient Pathway for Congregational Renewal in the 21st Century. In this interview, Michael will take us in, in a little bit into that book and how the things that he's learning, and he's pulled together some really interesting pieces. He takes the Big Five Personality Test, extrapolates that as a way of thinking about not just persons but churches and then connects it to the five-fold ministry that's described in Ephesians chapter 4. You're going to find this interview really helpful. Michael also shares some of the secrets or at least practices that allowed him to be so such a prolific writer in addition to all the speaking and teaching that he does. And, and I want to remind everybody, when we listen to Michael, he has a lot of valuable information, but the thing that's cool about him is his valuable information isn't coming from experiences long ago. He's continues to have skin in the game in mission and ministry, so his learning and reflection is fresh over against being the reflections of someone whose best adventures get ended a long ago. Hope you love uh, this conversation with Michael. And before we jump into the interview, I also want to announce that my latest book, Astonished by the Word, Reading Scripture for Deep Transformation, is now available. It releases officially on August 15th. It's available for pre-order if you're listening in advance of that, and you can get it on Amazon or directly from Invite Press. If you're buying multiple copies, you may want to check on the discounts that Invite Press offers. All these things, including links to information about Michael, will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast, Michael. It's so great to see you. So good to be back with my professor for life. So I'm honored to be able to be on here with you, friend. Now you're one of my, uh, I think, um, uh, recurring guests, and you're always welcome. And you know we've been sitting here talking for I think what forty minutes or thirty minutes already. So we got to get some of this recorded. So uh, thank you, congratulations on your latest book, uh, five, the five congregational personality types: an ancient pathway for congregational renewal in the twenty first century. Fresh out from Invite Press. Thanks, man. That's a mouthful to say it all at once. Wow. Yeah, it really is. I, well, that's it's a great title, though. Uh, so before we get into that, I mean, it's some of your latest kind of missional thinking. Uh, I'm just curious, you've you've written, and I haven't added up, you tell me, how many books have you written now just in the last, what, eight years, maybe? How many, how many books has it been? Uh, it's been author, co-author, uh, 10 and two that are done that are in in the process of uh, publication. Now, for folks that don't follow you on Instagram, you're traveling across at least the Midwest and the southern part of the United States, almost consistent, almost constantly doing seminars and and give and preaching. 
you and your wife are pastors in the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church, and you're, I mean, in active pastors, mm. and you still, and you have eight children, and mm. who knows uh, how many pets you have too, and then you're writing all these books. And so what I'm, I'm just really curious, what are your writing habits, if you don't mind just taking a detour before we get into the meat of your book? Like, how are you able to be so prolific as a writer? Sure. Yeah. And uh, our, our eight kids, you know, when me, when I was your student in class, they were all at home, you know, but we've successfully raised uh, seven of them into adulthood. They survived our parenting. So we're almost like empty nesters now. We just have one teenage high school daughter at home. So, but yeah, the, sp the writing process um, for me is definitely a spiritual practice. And I was an orphan and my grandparents adopted me and uh, my grandmother basically raised me. And <clears throat> I remember when I was a little boy, I just would make these little books and like illustrate them and write and bind them together with staples. And then I'd sell them to my grandma. She was my my only living customer. Um, and I just always had this dream and passion to write. And even when I had a really dark time in my life and went into substance abuse and things, um, I still read and wrote all the time. It was a lot of poetry at that time. So that's just deeply who I am. I'm a writer. I write every day, um, journal, spiritual journal, um, try to throw something down in writing pretty much six days a week. I try to take one day Sabbath because it is work also and and not do, do my centering prayer stuff, uh, which I learned from you on that, a lot of that on that day, right? Um, but I feel like there's, for me, these three kind of overlapping phases of it. There's like the research phase, the actual writing phase, the editing phase, and the research phase, like never ending. So when I'm on those planes, I have a book library I'm on my iPad. I'm reading all the time, marking, um, highlighting, creating, um, you know, little stories, illustrations, kind of stuff that I'm always kind of squirreling away, storing those up. Um, then the writing process, just for me, a prayerful process where I could try to sit down, minimize all distractions and just write and like vomit it out. Just let it go, uh, whatever comes out. And I don't try to do the, you know, citation stuff in that. I just let it flow, then come back and kind of pepper all that stuff in there. And for me, that's the intentionality of calendaring that every week, uh, taking a day where I have a significant time on Thursdays to just write. Then anywhere else, I can kind of fit it in in the schedule. Um, and then I go through that editing process, get some feedback from friends and, um, you know, scholars in the different areas. And yeah, so that's that's how it works for me. I'm I'm never really probably not writing or thinking about writing. Yeah. So talk, say a little bit more about uh, just the, I'm going to get into the weeds on that. So, because I want to deconstruct your process a little bit. Um, so obviously you've been a lifelong writer and, and that comes out. I mean, the one thing I do appreciate about all your books, including this one, is they have excellent illustrations. There's meat. I mean, this, this new book, it's like, I was like, how do you write another book? And I'm like, oh, this is just going to be like a fluff book. It's not at all. It's literally well thought out. It's um, you've pulled together a bunch of really interesting, we'll get into the specifics, but I mean, this is, it's like, it's, it's well thought out, well illustrated and clearly written so that essentially anybody could read it. So you're not writing for some highbrow style. So 
you say you vomit the words out, which I understand that you're just, you're not worrying about editing. You're just getting stuff down. So how many, what do you think, how much elimination do you do when you're editing? Are you like whacking one out of every five words? Do you have any sense of how much you have to chisel back after you vomited? You know, it's interesting. Um, in the beginning, yes, I'd say a lot, just one, you know, one out of five, that'd be a good uh, uh, equation. There, it's really weird, Brian, but the there's been a couple books where I just kind of had a download from God. I can't, I can't really in any way say you know, I was just a conduit kind of basically. And um, I, there wasn't a lot, it's, I actually, you know, peppering in the citations and stuff and all that, but there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that got cut out, you know, uh, what, what we call killing the babies, probably not a great metaphor, but um, so as I, I guess when I think about growth as a preacher, that's been true too, where in the beginning, gosh, how did anybody ever listen to that stuff for all those years? But um, now I feel like there's a pretty decent process and flow and a simplified, streamlined uh, way to do it that pretty much um you know I don't get any complaint I get a lot of complaints about other aspects of my leadership but my preaching teaching writing stuff people are usually pretty uh excited about or complimentary so I don't know I guess I'm getting to the point where there's a lot less of that cutting out stuff yeah, one more writing question are you when you sit down and write a book and it, it's one word at a time, but are you, do you have an outline that you're essentially filling in? Do you discovery, right? Meaning you got the idea, then you just kind of let it flow and then go back and paste everything together. What, how would you describe your, your normal process? Yeah, my normal process is probably the latter, but I've been stretched in like um, co-authoring some stuff and and doing chapter contributions like in red skies with alan hirsch and that crew we did a book together where it was more here's an outline you know here's here's what we're trying to do here's uh and writing in that way but for me the the writing process uh is like a exploratory discovery kind of process i've done all this research for like a lot leading up to you know, for, for instance, for this book, I was deep dive in Manuel Castell, sociologist, psychology, trait psychology, just lots of research. Um, so I had all the stuff, you know, floating around in there. And then it's just trying to get it out in a, a semi, you know, um, understandable form and then go back to all that research and like pepper it in and strengthen it with those stories, if that makes any sense. But I'm more like, just start writing. I know friends, uh, our friend, Lynn Wilson, he's one of those diagram writers. Like he'll have a chapter outline, diagram it out. Here's how many words I want in this section. I love people who can write like that. It's super strategic. And my, my, my mind's a mess. It's just a messy, like whole other animal, I guess. Well, that's why that's why we're friends. I'm I'm a complete mess too. I I literally write stuff, and on the Centering Prayer book, it was all 500 word bursts, and I actually printed it out all one day, and just like a jigsaw puzzle, I assembled the book into chapters from all the little pieces that I had, and then I wrote transitions. So I just I I, I write. When you say download, it's really interesting. Um, so you felt inspired, like you know, 
like when you, I don't know if you ever read Stephen Pressfield, War of Art, or even Rick Rubin, the famous record producer, he's got a new book out on creativity. And I think even there's a couple other people, they talk about these ideas and they'd say they're from God, actually, even though they're not necessarily uh, Christians, but that, that there's these things that God wants to exist. Mm. And it's, it's not so much in that, in that if you don't write it, somebody else will. It's like, you know, so I wonder what, what is your, do you feel like, I mean, again, we're not trying to get mystical and say you somehow you've channeled something in the same way, say like Paul does, but what, what you said, download, obviously right time, right place. You sat down and was able to, cause you wrote this latest book you said in like pretty fast, at least the draft. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's been some books that are more of a struggle where I'm like fighting through trying to just put it all together. And, um, I do a lot of, um, my process involves a lot of uh, imaginative prayer or contemplative prayer where I'm sitting in the silence. I'm trying to, you know, really plug into the spirit. By no means am I saying that I'm Theonustos, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not Paul and this is not scripture or anything, but there's definitely been some like clear, just like almost see it, the flow of the structure of the book. And I'm like, oh, I got to get up and hurry up and get this out real fast because I just that was not me. You know, that was something, you know, call it whatever you want. But and then I'm just like furiously trying to to get up with that. That happened with Deep Roots, Wild Branches, for sure. And that happened with this book. Um, and it was just me trying to catch up with seeing what I was shown and trying to pop that on paper. And then kind of reorganize it like those two books was I, I, I had an experience like that. I got up in the morning, ha had that experience, and then I just wrote and it was dark by, by at the end. But I basically had kind of a draft. And then I was like, oh, OK. Um, but that's not normal. My other books have been like, oh, I did a chapter over here, 500 words there trying to and then piece it all together. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, let's get into the reason that we've have you on here you got this new book uh five congregational personality types i won't do the whole the subtitle yeah, there it's like you said, it's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but you know just again there's so much here too this is a really rich read and what's what led you to write the book and what's the purpose behind the 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 book before we get into some before we actually get into these five types Sure. Yeah. So um, my wife and I are really called to revitalization congregations. I did the mega church thing, associate pastor for four years, right? Did that. And I was like, yeah, definitely not my calling. This is where the Lord wants me. So churches that are, you know, in recovery, we say they have the gift of desperation, G-O-D. Um, that's our, that's our jam. That's where we like to be. And we've done six of those in a row. And um, a lot of that's involved cultivating fresh expressions, new little Christian communities adjacent to and out of and in relationship with the existing congregation. And then that kind of brings it to a place of renewal over time. But then I was like, well, what's the internal stuff that we do with the existing congregation that we've been able to, that the Lord has navigated that culture to help it kind of come back to life. And so people are always asking me about that. And I'm like, Probably, and you know, we do all these trainings. I do probably 100, 200 trainings a year. And that's a, 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 a prominent question. So I'm always trying to note those questions that people ask in the trainings, because that's what the, the thing is underneath 
like that all sounds great, but how do you do this part? So a lot of it was around what do you do with the inherited congregation and how do you help them become healthy enough that when somebody does come to faith in a fresh expression and they do want to come check out Sunday morning, which happens a lot, um, what are we inviting them into? Is it a healthy environment where they're going to be nurtured? So there's often some things. So like I was thinking, how do I put that in a in a tool that can help other leaders um, help their congregations come to a new place of life? And you base this if, uh, from my my reading of this, you have the big five personality types, which is a uh, which is I guess that's actually the one personality test I've never taken. But you have you have that. So you have extroversion, agreeableness, what conscientiousness, openness, and neuroticism, right? So you yeah. take that, and then so and you lay that against these five, and you you expand that to to be a church, and then you also kind of weave in the the Ephesians four things that uh, uh, what apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and Alan Hirsch has done a lot of uh, work with that. So just kind of put all that together, so folks get a sense of you know what are the five personalities that a, that maybe a local congregation is going to have. Sure, yeah, and one of the things I love about Alan's writing is he talks about those five types from Ephesians four as like archetypes or pre-existent human like personalities basically that the Holy Spirit breathes on those when we come into Christ and then those gifts get kind of harnessed for the kingdom but they really are not just gifts they're like literal personalities or mindsets or intelligences as he calls them you know 5q so I, I was doing a deep dive research into trait psychology and trying to see so those that you named the big five like we see all these popular um, personality assessments that we use in popular culture, but psychologists, trait psychologists actually use the big five as, as a validated, you know, research instrument across cultures globally and very consistent, those traits. And then I was like, oh my goodness, those five traits are the apest, like apostles, openness to the spirit, openness to new possibilities and creativity is their thing, um, uh, shepherds. Like those those people are the agreeable nurturers, caregivers kind of folks. Prophets, neuroticism, anyone? Like yeah. <laughs> have you read like Jeremiah or Ezekiel? But high, high pro neuroticism, not good. That's the one trait you want to have at low. So think prophet Jesus, you know, emotive, weeping, feeling, but also a prophet, uh, stable, cool, trusting God. Uh, and then you think about the uh, evangelist who is clearly like the extrovert, right? And they're always inviting and trying to get people to come into to the the faith. And then the teachers, the didaskalas, who they're definitely conscientious, um, you know, intelligent teachers who want to pass down the faith, the traditions of the faith uh, from generation to generation. So I was like, oh man, that's, it's either, it's got to be a correlation there that God would give these five gifts. And then the other thing I love that Alan talks about is so the apest, Jesus is perfectly all five of those, right? He's the ultimate apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. But it takes all of us collectively uh, as as the distributed gifts of the body of Christ to make one Jesus uh, as his body of Christ in the world. Um, and so then those things are really prominent. And then I was, uh, Manuel Castells has a lot of research about um identity uh, formation and about 
resistance culture community and how uh, communities, uh, resistance communities embody this, this counter narrative or this, these counter values to the values of the world. And so if you look underneath the hood of those, those cultures of congregations, often there's a founder or a significant leader that kind of built that culture or really influenced that culture. And those leaders are like apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. So I'm going to this church and they're talking about pastor so-and-so who, you know, the church was booming under their leadership and she, she preached gold and angels descended from the heavens and, you know, all of that. So they had a significant impact and that's created a culture around one of those traits or one of those gifts. And so then I started to see, oh, every congregation has like a distinct personality that's based in this biblical and psychological kind of um, origins. So, so a pastor or a person is going to have a gift. The people in the congregations have gifts. You also talk about the, the surrounding community where the church is, has these things. Yeah. Uh, how important is it to have a, a a perfect match on all those things. So like, what if, you know, like you're an apostle, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying you, I don't know what you consider your, that would make sense, but I don't know how, what, what gift you actually own. Maybe it's teacher or, or whatever, but so if you get sent to it, if you're in a church context, that isn't that, what, what does that mean for the leader? Um, does that mean you, you look for a different pastor or how, how what, what, what do you do with that in terms of, of fit? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I'm like high A and then secondary T, you know, apostle teacher, and then stuff pretty, pretty low, like pastor, not, not good. Thankfully, Jill, my co-pastor, she's the shepherd, nurturer, lover. Um, and not that I don't do that as well. We, we don't get off the hook because our gifts don't right. do that. But um, the, so there's, there's the strength of a match and, and uh, there, so there's pros and cons to both. Um, there's also some significant weaknesses to a match. Mismatches can can be really hard. And through failure and and learning by making mistakes, um, I want to come in as the you know, like the apostle and reach the people that aren't here, you know. But if I'm in a fellowship centered congregation and their key value is koinonia and and nurturing one another and being together in quality time, I have to understand that culture love and nurture people in the culture that that they are um there's another interesting correlation with uh the five love languages um gary chapman's work five love languages which is like um you know quality time um uh, uh touch uh, uh those different things and they, they actually lay over the five types as well but so i have to nurture them in the way that 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 their culture is built and around that value and then as I do that and love and build relationships, I call it the three L's, listen, learn, love. Uh, then over time, I can we can lead together out to different edges and we can grow into those other areas where there's usually a dark side or a weakness. But what I feel like I did a lot by mistake, and I know a lot of clergy do this as well, is we just kind of go in guns blazing, here's our gifts, you know, here we are. And we don't do that spade work of really understanding the culture of the congregation then that creates this mismatch. So like, I'm definitely an outreach, you know, apostolic person. And now, now I'm in a, a congregation that really syncs with that at St. Mark's. They're an outreach center congregation. They're about 
embodying the gospel in word and deed in the community. Uh, and then that has some weaknesses, right? Because um, sometimes there's not a, a depth of, of uh, you know, biblical spirituality. And it's more about doing and, and then, then spending time together and, and prayer and fellowshipping. And so there, there, that could be a dangerous thing because if these other areas of our dark side were just kind of going all this one way, we could create like a really shallow kind of expression of the body of Christ. So this tools to try to help pastors and congregations understand that about each other and maybe have some of those conversations about gifts alignment and gift mismatch and where the like could we pick one area where we can see their significant weakness here and maybe build some discipleship processes around that or try some new experimental like outreach type stuff. Uh, yeah. So walk me through. So I'm a pastor of a local church, let's let's say. Um, and do you see this as a tool for a person going into a new context? Is this a tool that I could use? Hey, I've been there for five years and I've made some mistakes and I'm trying to shift up my leadership. So how, how do you actually see this tool being brought into a local church that yeah, and what's the precondition, would you say, for the folks in that church to be able to effectively use the tool? It can't just be the pastor. The people have to want um, this, I would guess. So talk a little bit about implementation of the of this model. Yeah, ideally, I think it would be a helpful tool, like in a fresh start, new appointment, or even in a congregational polity where we've you know called a pastor and we're beginning that relationship. But with most of my coaching, consulting stuff with congregations, and, and they, they usually bring me in fresh expression-oriented stuff, like we want to learn how to reach our community and start little church plants. But often there's this internal strife and uh, just not good relational energy. And you can't really get to do anything vital and healthy when that's the thing. So then I find myself kind of navigating all that conflict, really. So I talk about it as a love triangle in the book, that our life is derived from the life of God. Uh, we're a community. And there's those three key relationships like congregation, pastor, and the wider community or parish. And if there's a love blockage in any one of those things, and what I find is sometimes pastors are just over their congregations. And I've been there, so I get it. Sometimes congregations are kind of over their pastor. And they're, they're just trying to work it through. And then they never really get to loving the community because they have all this internal strife and stuff. So this tool would be to help start a reset too. So not just a fresh start, but a reset and say, have some, have some difficult conversations. Um, one of the people I engage in the book is Edwin Friedman, um, family systems theorist. And he talks about the imaginative gridlock that takes place in organizations and that it's that deep relational work that really has to happen. Um, and part of that is, is knowing and loving each other through what I, when I, I call it the arranged marriage in the book, that every pastoral congregational relationship, whether you're, you know, um, a clergy who's appointed an itinerant system or a congregational polity, it's an arranged marriage by God of, of coming together as pastor and community or pastors, if you have a team. And there's going to be a point in every arranged marriage where the honeymoon is over. And what do you do when the honeymoon is over and how do you start again? And that's part of like this tool could help that because I find it's often 
this mismatch thing or we're talking past each other or we're not really uh, understanding each other at a deep level. So we can't really go anywhere together when it's just constant infighting and uh, struggle. So so two two questions. How does the pastor figure out what their type is? And then how does a church identify the type and what role does the pastor have in helping the church identify the type? So I guess there's three questions there. Yeah, um, there's just some really, really great stuff out there on APEST. Um, Alan has, Alan Hirsch has great tools on his website, you know, 5Q, and the, you can take your, um, you know, assessment. Are you an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher? Um, the book, I hope, is clear enough that congregations could read it and be like, oh, yeah, we're definitely, you know, proclamation centered. Um, and I do a lot of explanation and kind of showing the dark sides of the different things. Um, but then there's going to be an assessment with this book, uh, which is, you know, invite is is really excited about this assessment. Excellent. So they beta tested this. They're in the process of beta testing it with a couple of developers and a bunch of congregations that are taking it. And then that'll be available. I'm not sure how all that's going to work, if it's part of the book or some, but that'll be an assessment that will be accompanying this book. So you'll literally be able to take the assessment. It'll tell your congregation. And then after each chapter, there's little um, conversation starters and little uh, exercises to work through together and some questions that kind of congregation pastor could have together and kind of move through the 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 pieces of the book together. Now that looked it looks outstanding. This again, you, you already mentioned this. One of the features of the book, I mean, it's you have good questions at the end of each chapter. Then you actually have these team exercises that so a, a pastor, or I guess this could be lay driven too, could buy a, a number of these books and either have a I mean a class or you could have just like a missional strategic conversations using this book and that literally. Or they could bring you in to do a consult in person, but in a sense, this is you in your absence. Your book actually can be sort of a, um, well, a book. It's a consultant itself that can lead a group into these conversations. And the goal of this ultimately is to connect it back to the world. So, talk a little bit about just and you'd pick one, whatever your whatever congregational type is. Um, well, let, let's say your proclamation base, because that's probably the default generic one. It's a, a so how does that church turn that reality into a strength that allows them to make disciples of persons who are not yet following Jesus? Great, great question. So the 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 teacher center congregation, Aletheia is the kind of the biblical value and biblical truth and grounding people in that is is like their gets their blood flowing, right? So lots of good preaching, teaching ministries in the church, Bible study. This is a congregation that has a lot of that going on. The dark side of that can be uh, it can slip into kind of a consumeristic, you know, we show up, we consume scripture. Maybe it changes the way we live throughout the week, maybe not. And do we do outreach to people or does it make us more generous in our giving? Or do we actually spend time together hearing each other's stories and knowing each other in a deep way? Are we always just oriented on the presentation of the word? So the strength of that obviously is, you know, as you, you've taught, 
for years is um, the the scriptures, you know, read us and we we bend our life to the truth of scripture, right? So a culture created around biblical truth can do really powerful things missionally in the world. But I, I love what you said there about, so how does that flow out into a, a post-Christian, um, you know, what Charles Taylor calls the secular age where it's an imminent frame and we don't actually believe God can intervene and do anything. And we're not going to be able to go out and preach, you know, on street corners anymore or whatever. So I have some suggestions in there about how do we um, be a proclamation center congregation in new and creative ways. So like in a fresh expression, we have Jesus stories. So the value there is biblical truth, but we know that these post-Christian contexts, like we're in a tattoo parlor or a dog park or the local rehab. Now we have a fresh expression there. Uh, we're not going to be able to get up and do a, you know, five points in a prayer sermonic presentation, right? So we, but we can share a Jesus story. So we're doing that old kerygma practice, right? Where we, we uh, share a story from Jesus' life. And then we ask questions and people weigh in on the questions and they're curious about Jesus. They want to know more. Maybe they have struggles with different aspects of it. And so we just facilitate a conversation. So that's a proclamation-centered gathering, but it's kind of a new uh, expression of that. And then over time, you'll be able to get deeper and deeper where, you know, we will at some point, like, be studying scripture in depth and breaking that out and then bringing out some of your resources to to, to accompany us and study that in a deep way. So, yeah, that, that would be one way to kind of do that creatively. Yeah, before I wrap up with a couple questions about maybe what's next for you, uh, what what else would you want folks to know about your new book? And I'm going to read the whole title, The Five Congregational Personality Types, An Ancient Pathway for Congregational Renewal in the 21st Century. So like what 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 hasn't been said that really makes you passionate about this this new book of yours? Yeah, you know, every year at annual conference, I'm a United Methodist, um, <clears throat> we have the time of the church closures. And every year, you know, this group who that church has been significant in their formation, their life, have like a little morning grieving, um, you know, time. And it breaks my heart because I believe actually we need every church of every expression of every theological position on every corner, um, embodying the love of Jesus in the world. And I don't think any church needs to close. I think uh, every church needs to die, uh, but they don't need to close. They need to die and enter into this journey of resurrection uh, that Jesus says, you know, unless that seed go into the ground, it won't have the harvest. But um, no church really needs to close. And I have literally served, Brian, churches they are like, you're not going to be able to do anything with this one, but what the heck, you know, try, try it. You know, there's 20 people there, 12 people there. They haven't paid apportionments in over a decade, you know, and the Lord revitalizes these congregations. So I believe the church has a unique gift that only we can offer to the world and it's communal life in Jesus. Uh, and it's the embodiment of Jesus healing presence. And um, the church to me is Jesus' plan A, B, and C for the healing of, of the world. It's not, he didn't just leave us a book or, or like a plan. He left us a community. And now I think we have to rethink those communities. It's not going to always be building, sitting in pews, hymnals. But 
little pockets of Jesus all over the place uh, can actually bring healing to communities in the world. So when inherited congregations close, it's to me that it could have been a different fate. And my hope is this book will be a tool that will help that. And I don't think I have the answer to like revitalize, you know, every congregation in the world, but there's definitely um, the Holy Spirit wants to renew and restore and bring resurrection and heal people's lives through that. And there's a way we can channel into what the Spirit's doing in the world. Man, that's beautiful. Yeah, I love what you just said. Uh, a church doesn't have to close, but it has to die. And frankly, I suppose that's actually what has to be true for even at the individual basis. Uh, we don't need to shut down. We don't need to get retooled. We need to die and let Jesus resurrect us up out of that surrendered uh, posture. So so thank you very much for what you do. And uh, this is this book is, uh, again, Michael's written a lot of books, and I think they're all actually good. But uh, this one, I'm just going to say, this is a really good book that will be very helpful for all my friends listening who are in local congregations who's wondering what's next. And especially, you know, Michael, you're United Methodist. Um, I, well, I'm still United Methodist, too. Uh, but we also know there's been a big split and, you know, the key thing, whatever your church sign says, um, it won't be there if you don't make disciples. I mean, the church won't be there long game if you don't make disciples. And I think this is a tool that can help the Methodist tribe, let alone, well, and Presbyterians and Baptists and anybody that wants that has ears to hear this. So thank you for uh, this really important work. Thank you, Brian. I, I hope you all enjoy it and I hope it helps your congregation. Yeah. And so before we jump off here, you know, I've, you've asked my rapid fire questions multiple times, so I'm not going to just go over the same ones, but I am curious. Uh, you talked a little bit when we were just catching up uh, about you're the fresh expressions guy. And that's, uh, you know, it's, you're kind of like, um, you know, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins was Hannibal Lecter for a long time in people's minds after they saw that <laughs> when you're really good at something, you end up kind of yeah. playing the same role sometimes. And, you know, so like, without saying anything back, because I mean, you're really good at that. It's always going to be a sweet spot. It's, it's a gift. Um, what, but I got a sense that there's something in you, like what, what's the big dream, maybe the book you're afraid to write, you know, what, you know, like 20 years from now, what, what's the book that may be a little different from these other resources that you'd really love to have come out over the next say 20 years? Oh, wow. That is a big question. And um, yeah, I, I was, you know, saying before we jumped on, I have been kind of pigeonholed, you know, the fresh expression guy and come in and do that and help. And I love it. Yeah, it's good at it. Um, obviously, I live in it every day and I'm doing this uh, in my daily life. Um, but I, there's also more to me than just one model or way or, you know. Um, and I think the thing that the Lord's really been just pulling me toward this idea Um is I'm pretty sure that probably the missional church conversation has gone wrong in some ways. And um, I've really been thinking about a passional church, mm. and a passional church movement. Um, and when we do mission in the name of Jesus, but not in the way of Jesus, we do harm. Mm. And I've seen some results of that of the missional church with some of the folks who have found refuge in these fresh expressions. And they talk about, you know, when we read that Missio Dei stuff as like 
people are objects and and you know god is a missional god so god's on a mission we're joining into god's mission yes yes all of that i wouldn't say mission is an attribute of god i used to say that all the time i'd say probably love like uh rahum is a is a attribute of god like chesed that's an attribute of god but his activity because he's those things then he's reaching out missionally into the world and the church is an instrument of that but he's passional uh like locating that in the passio dei the suffering of christ um so doing mission in a philippians 2 type way where we're self-emptying we're joining into the compassion of jesus um, we're we're doing trauma informed you know mission and evangelism we're not just trying to take and make and advance and um that's just a shift that's happened in me just through being with people, I guess, that have been significantly harmed by the church over time. And there's got to be a way to to couple those things together, like orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthocardia, and orthopathos, like a right heart mission done in the way of Jesus. So that's my big thing I'm thinking about trying to call for like a theological recalibration. Um, and I I hope to write that book someday. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Uh, I've been reading a lot of the trauma-informed work myself, and I think the church that figures, it's not figures it out, that but embodies that in a way that brings substantial healing through God's grace, but in ways that we haven't seen, that's going to be, I love it, Michael, passional church. So that's, that's, so thanks for sharing that with us here uh, today. And I just want to thank you as always uh, for being my guest, been a great friend. Uh, just so happy to see you doing the things that you're doing for the Lord. Uh, and we used to do the Tijuana Flats conversations. I'll never forget those as long as, as I live. And it's a, and just thank you for using your gifts, using your story and allowing God to come into your life, transform you. And, you know, it's like you've heard me say a million times and Alex McMahon has said it, the gospel comes to us on its way to someone else. And I think, uh, you know, as much as anybody I've known you, you, you've been living that as long as I've known you. So thank you for that witness. Thanks, Brian. I, um, I do remember those Tijuana Flats conversations, which sparked burritos and Bibles, one of our fresh expressions. It's like 11 years old now, which is cool. But, um, you know, the way you taught me to read scripture missionally, you know, when I was sitting in your class with that freshman student, uh, it's changed my life and I'm still not perfectly, but I'm still trying to trying to live into that. So thank you. And I, I know I'm not alone in that. There's a lot of students that you've influenced that way. So well, it's always been a joy and a pleasure and just grateful. And uh, also want to thank everybody who's been listening all the way to the end of uh, this week's episode. Uh, you can check out I'm going to put references to the things that Michael's mentioned in the in the show notes. Again, if you found this episode helpful, please consider sharing it with friends. And if I can be of any service to you, please reach out to me. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope to others.